I'm delighted to say that we're back in Northumberland, one of the most beautiful counties in England. And we're here to meet somebody who is steeped in the traditional music of this area. Catherine Tickell plays the Northumbrian pipes, the fiddle. She composes. She's worked with loads of different ensembles. She's worked with symphony orchestras even. But at her core is the music that comes out of this landscape. And she personifies the handing on of that tradition from generation to generation. And she's going to bring along her dad, Mike Tickell, a storyteller and singer who also and knows so much about the culture and history of Northumberland. What a wonderful opportunity this is to learn more about this landscape and about the music that runs through it. Catherine and Mike, how wonderful to see you. Thank you very much for inviting us here. Would you just tell us where we are? Because there's a, there's a river, a huge river running behind us. Where, where are we, Catherine? Well, this is a little bit huger than it sometimes is. Uh, this is the River Reed, and we're in Northumberland, just um, not very far from my house. We've just walked down here from the house. Um, so yeah, this is the backdrop to my life. This is the soundscape to my life. is a tune that I think every Northumbrian piper knows. It's a tune called the Reedsdale Hornpipe and um, it's part of the kind of core repertoire. It's in the Northumbrian Piper Society first tune book. in the background. Love it. The river's hugely important, isn't it, in terms of the music that it, it's provoked and the stories that surround it? It is. I mean, I think with all traditional tunes and, you know, on, on, in that traditional folk world, a lot of tunes are written and songs are written about particular places and particular people. They're very, very specific. Um, so I've grown up with all of that, but then also a lot of the tunes that I write are also about particular places, um, namely this, this river and other uh, areas close by to you. And the same for my dad. Yeah, this is the reed and it's steeped in border ballad history. So you've got the Battle of Otterburn just a few miles up, upstream. You've got the Ballad of Percy Reed. Your Chevy Chase could well have taken place here. So. The old songs are very much part of this landscape, soundscape, if you like. Mm. Is this a good fishing river? Oh, this is the great fishing river. <laughs> this is the reed which flows into the North Tyne just down there. And the Tyne, as you probably know, is the greatest fishing river for salmon and sea trout in England and Wales. Now, you've got the pipes there. I have. Do you need to tune up or are <laughs> they in good... Are they in I'm good not entirely sure what we're going to do. <laughs> are we going to uh, play and perform something about a place which is not immediately here but is nearby yeah i can't quite believe we're going to do this because this is something we haven't ever tried to do so there's a, a well a poem that my dad wrote um about this really magical place called holy well pool it's on um, the Walksburn, that's it and the Walksburn flows in at the village of walk as you would expect but we lived in the forestry village at stonehaf when i was 12 years of age and I went down and fished at the Holywell Pool, which is a deep, dark pool. And then at one time I heard a man tell me 
that you could pluck songs out of the air. Pluck them out of the air and sing them bonnie. <laughs> and so that inspired the poem, did it? Well, I tried. Um, when I was probably about 70, I, I tried to pluck the songs out of the air at the Holywell Pool because it's a sacred place. There's a, a spring there as well. And I stood at the empty house and I tried to pull the songs out of the air. And this poem that I wrote, which Catherine's turned into a song, was what came out. And so you're going to try to perform it in a... This is like a world premiere <laughs> version, isn't it? <laughs> Tell us what we're going to do. Well, at the moment, I still don't know what's going to happen. So Dad wrote the poem, yeah. and uh, it's a place that I've gone to all my life, you know, since being a very, very little girl. Um, I used to go when he was fishing down there, and um, there is something very strange about that, that pool and that area. So when I saw the poem, I thought, right, I'm going to set this to music, and I did a version of it with my band, with um, lots of voices and just a very kind of droney accompaniment and actually a, a recording of down here with the river and the birds. So Dad is going to recite the words. I'm going to put my drones on. You've got the river. Hang and on, we've got another instrument yes. here. Well, when we recorded this on the album, it was kind of an afterthought. We'd finished the album and all the lads had gone home out of the band and there was the three girls were left and I'd written the, the tune for this song. I said, come on, let's have a go at it. Um, so we did but the rest of the band were gone. So for the accompaniment, we just did drones and some stuff from my house, making kind of percussion noises and a couple of stones from the river that we kind of rubbed together. Um, so I don't know if you want to, that's... What is this? this, <laughs> this it's on is a, just something. on the table it's here a, by the river. There's a sort of yeah, garden it's a table. Set of I'm, Indonesian. I'm just gonna, I'm just make a noise with it. <laughs> it's a set of Indonesian anglums. And, um, yeah, I know nothing about it, but um, I was given them and it's just such a watery sounding noise that we thought, right, OK, it's from Indonesia, not Northumberland, but we're, we're, we don't mind. We'll, we'll welcome all the sounds. So could I perhaps help out by you could. Uh, playing the Anglons? You could. Uh, what, what's and your event, advice? If you want to, I'd, I've got no idea, just give it a little shake as, <laughs> okay. as the spirit moves you. And then there's some plenty of stones down there by the river if you want to get a couple of stones and rub them together. Yes, we'll get, we'll get Natalie, the producer, to have a bit of a, uh, <laughs> so, a, bit of a stone. And I will just play some drums. So, yeah, this is kind of free improvisation, Northumbrian style. There are songs and voices by the well in the air by the house, but I cannot catch them. He said you could take them from the air, bring them down and sing them, Bonnie. The lichen gateposts have had no gate this century. He said a weaver lived in this derelict house above the dark pool. They say a horse and rake once came down from the hayfield above down the bank, into the pool. There were rabbits among the hazels and wild garlic. The dog and I walked in the leafy darkness. I take buried holly from the quickening tree at the house front. Light candles at the empty window, in the wall space by the empty door. And wait, and wait. There are songs and voices by the well, in the air by the house, but I cannot catch them. He said you could take them from the air, bring them down and sing them, Bonnie. Storyteller, piper, balladeer, he fused old languages, pulled music and song out of silence. He died in Aberdeen this year. I wait at the door with holly and light, but there is no answer. Above, a single bird floats high.
Mike, I wanted to ask you really about how the tradition works, because you are part of it. You're passing on stories and songs that you must have heard from somebody else. Did you hear them from your parents or from your family growing up? Well, when I was 16, I worked on the Forestry Commission in Wark Forest, and I came across people who knew poems and wrote poems. Randy Proudlock from mm. Wark wrote poems. Uh, so he wrote about the uh, change that was happening with the Forestry Commission coming here and planting up all the hill farms. So I've got a song or a poem that Rennie wrote. So I can remember him writing it one snowy day in the farmhouse at Ken Glasnop, and he wrote it on the bedroom wall upstairs while we were all sitting playing on the cards. Wall. This yeah. was not a, a farm that people were living in, by no, the way. No, this no. was, um, they were just out there. We were, planting the, we were planting the hill farms up, you see. So all of this area round here was once, was once hill farming, and now it's the biggest man-made forest uh, in Europe, I think. The biggest man-made, yeah. And uh, so you were picking up these stories just from, from people you them. knew? Yeah. Also, I started, I'm afraid, drinking at an early age, <laughs> and I was in the Grey Bullet Walk, and I learned from a, a, a singer, Adam oh, Jackson, Adam Jackson yeah. so, who is a shepherd. But I think what's interesting, because you weren't brought up in, the, in a folk tradition no, or anything. No, no, no. I mean, he kind of was, but he didn't know it. I mean, you, you did discover folk clubs. Oh, and, yes. And uh, we had that interaction. Sorry, there's a hen in the background. That's all right. Um, come down to visit us. <laughs> when we but, moved and worked down in Scunthorpe mm. area, so I discovered a, the folk club and I couldn't believe it. We were in Scunthorpe and I heard this Scotch singer, Archie Fisher, singing one of my songs as I saw it, The Keel to Hunt from here. I thought I was the last singer of it. <laughs> <laughs> so I think, you know, for you, discovering a folk club uh, oh, was yes. an absolute eye-opener. It's like, oh, this is what I do. This is, this is the music that I yes. like. I didn't know anybody else was interested in it. So I'm thinking about your childhood now, Catherine. Right. So what was going on in your, in your childhood? <laughs> was your dad, did he sing at home? Oh, did he not? Yes, he did. He was always singing. And I think because we lived down in Lincolnshire for a bit, he probably was maybe singing more down there because everything he sings is from up here. Um, everything is, is absolutely intensely um, place orientated. It was almost like a way of um, saying, yes, I might be down here in Lincolnshire, but this is who I am. This is where I'm from. It's a way of kind of reminding himself. So I was brought up with that absolutely you know, hearing all the time these songs. And real Northumberland yes. stuff. Well, yeah. that's absolutely right, because um, the man who wrote the book there, Wanny Blossoms, he went out to America from Kielder here, and when he got out into America, all he wrote about was, was the Kielder. wild hills of Wanny yeah, and yeah. Kielder. Because when you're away from it, I suppose, in a way, what yeah. you do is you long for it and you try to conjure it in, well, that's in right. what you do. And these sparkling streams and the yellow trout, the bonny hills are here. But Lammy's louping over the brae, my bonny soul to cheer. Or bring me back, thou gallant ship, across the Atlantic fame, that I may see me Wannies wild and me bonny moorland hame. That's all James Armstrong wanted. So this is what I grew up with. You know, you go anywhere with my dad or my granddad and they're going to burst into either song or uh, poetry or something at any and did you moment. like it? Or because uh, you know, some kids can be embarrassed about their I parents was, doing performing and, and that kind of thing. Mostly, I liked it. Occasionally, when we'd been to the uh, the twentieth battlefield, um, which all to me, you know, when I was about ten, these battlefields do tend to look quite similar. And Dad would be striding around, going, "Ah, now the Scottish soldiers will come down over that hill." And can you just imagine it, Catherine? And then he would be singing a bit of the ballad, and I'd be like, "Oh." Come on, Dad. When do we get to the tea room? <laughs> it <laughs> fell about oh, the Lammas tide <laughs> when the moormen win the hay. The doughty Douglas bound him right into England to drive a prey. So that's where he came in, just over the top there. <laughs> <laughs> and then when I was, um, you know, when I was playing instruments, we couldn't go anywhere without having, you know, the instruments in the car. And then that would be the next thing, like Catherine go and get the fiddle or the pipes or the whistle and play the, play the tune for Otterburn in this field. He's a man, he's invented folk on foot before <laughs> his time, hasn't he? <laughs> I think so. Well, and listen, will you, will you play a tune here that's inspired by the river for us? Well, what I could do, 
Hersha Lynn, oh, I haven't played that for a while, Hersha Burn. It's about a waterfall just up in the, up the Hersha Burn. Wild Hills is always good, but it's kind of slow. It's like we don't mind slow. Okay. Uh... The Wild Hills is the tune to the poem that the, Murray, that the man wrote, the poem to the Wild Hills of Wani. The book's called Wani Blossoms. And the tune, the Wild Hills of Wani, uh, he wrote a song to it, didn't he? That, that's the Wild Hills. You're going to be in this no, one. No, I'm not. <laughs> Sorry. Go on, do a bit of a thing. I'll, uh... This is James Armstrong, looking back from America and wanting to be here. Oh, my heart's in the West, on your wild mossy fells, among more cock and plover and red heather bells where the lambs lie in clusters on yon bonny bray round the wild hills of wonny so far far away there's Ed crag and lumma and hepple half too oh heart side and dana have off been on you, oh, Ottercups, Hersha, and Peden so high, and the wild hills of Wunny forever for me. And there he is out in America looking back over here, and of course, he came back. Okay, that was a bit of uh, a tune that I wrote called Hersha Burn, which was written for a little waterfall up in Bellingham, just over there. Um, and then another bit, two little extracts of two tunes there. Uh, the second bit, the slow one, was from a tune that I wrote, oh, quite a long time ago, called Reedsdale. So we're in Reedsdale, so I thought I'd give you a bit of that. So, so were instruments something that you picked up at home or at school, Catherine? Oh, at home. I always wanted to play, and my granddad Robson on my mum's side, in fact, all my mum's side, they're, they're, I mean, they've been around here for hundreds and hundreds of years, the Robsons, Halls, Dodds, you know, they're all very traditional names from around here. Um, and they knew a lot about the music, but then on dad's side, there was more actual players. So my granddad Akel uh, played the fiddle and the accordion and the piano. And when he moved into the old people's bungalows in Wark, I got his piano out of the farm because it wouldn't fit into the, to the bungalow. Yeah. And I was about five then. And I remember he'd given it to me because I used to spend hours in the front room in, in, the, in the farm at Willabog, just playing this piano. And it's, it's actually that memory of playing that piano has, has very much affected how I respond to kids making a racket on musical instruments because I remember it so clearly. I was making pictures on this piano and I can remember one of them was a jungle and I had, you know, I was crashing down the bottom end of the piano and it was elephants and then had little high notes and there were little zebras and things and fairy horses, you know, I was only about five or four when I was doing this. Um, 
to anybody listening, it must have just sounded like a kid being a bit of a pain and bashing the hell out of this piano. But in my mind, I had whole landscapes going on. And, oh, there's a fish just jumped there. Sorry. Oh. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's a great dip. Your rod. Yeah, it's, a, it's a great day for fishing. It Look is. at that. We've had that rain. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> yeah. And the fiddle, did that come yeah. next? Yeah, so I had the piano. And then, because my mum played the concertina as well. Um, so I was brought up with that. And then the fiddle, I was desperate to play the fiddle. You know how sometimes you think that if you really, really want to do something desperately, you assume that you mustn't be allowed to do it. It must be something bad. So I didn't tell my parents that I really wanted to play the fiddle and went into school and signed myself up for it and then came back, you know, with this thing that had to be signed saying, I give consent for my child to have free school violin lessons, which you got at that time, which was fantastic. And then the pipes, that was kind of by accident, really. It was the fiddle I was drawn to. Um, and then Dad had a friend he played rugby with who had a set of pipes for sale. And you thought you no, might I be bought them. Oh, I bought you? them for him, yeah. And we went up to Archie Dag, if you remember, oh, right. to buy Archie Dag's pipes. And they're the very ones. He had those set of pipes. They were made by an old Northumbrian hill farmer called Archie Dag, Archie Dag. who was a composer of tunes as well. And he played the fiddle he as did, well, yeah. didn't he? It's a very common um, traditional combination to play the Northumbrian pipes and the fiddle. Mm. And in fact, um, my Archie pipes, they were the, I've only really played two or well three sets of pipes in my life so it's the Archie Dag set which I played until I was about from the ages of 10 to 17 or 18 uh, but they they only had a certain number of notes on them and then there's a, a friend of mine in Cambridge who makes pipes and he lent me a set of pipes while he was kind of fettling up the Archie Dag set they were needing their 10,000 mile service <laughs> and then I had I suddenly found all these new notes it's like oh this is exciting. I've got an F natural. I've never had an F natural before. <laughs> uh, so I started writing all these different tunes with them in. And on my 21st birthday, uh, Mike Nelson, who is the pipe maker, gave me a set of pipes, which is this set that I still play. But these bellows here, this is the Archie Dag bellows. Oh, right. So it's, so it's like a hybrid, set. is it? So you've got the, the yeah. Archie Dag It's the only bellows. set of bellows I've ever used, and they're very rough and ready. So um, with the bellows, obviously, you're not blowing into Northumbrian pipes. You've got the bellows strapped around your waist. And um, some people's sets of bellows are very kind of beautifully turned wood and everything. These are like two slabs of wood held together with a couple of shoelaces and a bit of washing machine tube. <laughs> and, and tell us about the instrument itself, because how is it related to the Irish pipes, uh, which have the same sort of movement with the bellows, don't they? Yeah, they do. Is, are, are, they, are they similar instruments? Uh, well, they're all bagpipes. I mean, I feel a kinship to every sort of bagpipe you know and, and players of pipes but they're all very very different you know if i got the irish pipes if i borrowed a set it, i wouldn't really be able to get much of a tune out of them because the fingering is so completely different same with the scottish i did actually have a try this set of scottish pipes uh, when i was younger and fainted so that was because of all the breathing <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so that wasn't good but one thing with the northumbrian ones you've got the drones here and that just goes on all the time but then the chanter, which is the bit that plays the tune of the Northumbrian ones, is very different to most other types of bagpipe. So, um, as you can see, I'm just keeping the bellows going here, and the, the air goes into the bag, and you keep the drone going. So with the chanter, the end of the chanter is closed. So at the moment, I've got all my fingers on, there's silence coming out of the chanter, there's nothing. And you open one finger and put it back. And it's that very staccato sound. It's what gives Northumbrian pipes their particular sound, very precise, very clear. You know, the other type of bagpipes, they have a wildness perhaps that Northumbrian pipes don't have, but we have something, a different sound, you know, you have a precision. That, yeah. And that's a beautiful bag that the, the uh, air yes. goes into those. It looks yes. like blue velvet. It's, it is, so it's yeah. uh, leather in, underneath, but yeah. yes, I've had this a long time. So that, there's a little bit of lace that uh, the pipe maker's wife, Shirley, made for me many, many years ago when I first had this set of pipes. So, Mike, when Catherine was heading off in these directions, these musical directions, presumably you were fully supportive of all that and you thought this was a great idea, did you? There was one day I was going into work in Gateshead and she was on the radio and the man says, your father's letting you go and do all of this and be like as if I had any control. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I don't know how old you were then. 
maybe 16 or something like that. And you'd started going into competitions and, yeah. and, and, and all and that. Plane away, yeah, yeah. I, in the piping world, there's, there's regular competitions uh, that you go into and that, that helps you to kind of have something to practice towards. But I do think that really none of us were really prepared for what, what this meant. I just kind of, I assumed that I would go off to college or, you know, university or do something like that. And then I didn't. I decided, kind of spur of the moment, really. It, I was at Farnham Folk Day and somebody from Folk Roots or Southern Rag, I think it was at the time, this is a very long time ago, interviewed me and said, and are you going to be taking this up professionally when you leave school? And it had never crossed my mind. And I said, yes, I am. And then thought, oh my goodness me, how am I going to tell my parents? Got home and uh, told them and they went, yeah, all right, yeah, that's fine. Uh, as long as you work hard, you were just worried that I would actually work. <laughs> and, um, but then I went off and I was solo for, for the first however many years, going around these folk clubs. And at the time, I can't think of other, you know, solo like women going around, or girl as I was, going around on their own, um, certainly not as an instrumentalist, it was quite unusual. And also I was on public transport and it was before there was mobile phones and there were some dodgy moments. Was it tricky for there you? There were some, yeah. yeah. And of course I never told my parents. It's strange because, you know, my parents, particularly you, Dad, were, were very strict, so I wasn't allowed to go out um, past nine o'clock to go to discos and things like that back in the day. But then off I went to Shetland for a week, age 13. There was one, actually, I remember almost being raffled off at this folk club, I can't remember quite where it was, but I'd said to them in the interval, like, oh, could you, you know, just, who am I staying with? Because you stayed with usually the organisers or somebody, one of the residents or something. And they said, oh, how, oh, oh, we haven't thought about that. Uh, we'll sort it out. And then they went on stage. Well, it wasn't a stage, but they went in front of the audience and said, and uh, the guest this week doesn't have anybody to stay with. So if anybody would like to put her up, just come and tell us afterwards. My goodness. <laughs> and I was sitting there thinking, oh, this is not very good. <laughs> um, and actually that one, this uh, youngish couple came up and, you know, they won the prize. They got to take me home. But they said to me afterwards that um, they'd never put up anybody from a folk club before. Um, they'd only been there a couple of times. But the, the woman, her dad, lived in Northumberland, played the Northumbrian pipes, and she thought, my dad would like me to just keep an eye on this little girl, and I'm going to take her home and make sure she's safe. Oh. And I really, really appreciated that. Yeah, that, that's, that's mm. And that, those like sort that. of things did happen to me quite a lot, where somebody would just think, do you know, I think I'll offer to put her up. It'll be just take her home, give her a good dinner in a nice bed. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and were you conscious of, of being part of this tradition that, that your dad's talked about? Were you conscious that you were taking the tradition to a new audience when you went out on the road? Not to start with, no. Um, I just went and played my tunes and had a bit of a chat about the tunes, just in the same way that dad would, or, you know, my granddad was always telling stories and stuff. So I was brought up with that, doing bits of poetry. So it was actually throughout that almost apprenticeship, those few years of playing around the folk clubs, which is an incredible apprenticeship, and I'm very, very grateful for it. It was through that that I kind of started to realise that what I was doing was, was different and that it had a part to play in the folk scene, but that also it, it was kind of from outside that as well. It was from a, a different route. It's from that traditional route. And, you know, there's a whole... Um, there's a whole argument and discussion to be had about folk versus traditional. To me, they're very, very different, but it's so hard to explain in what way. Um, so I see myself as being traditional, even though my music quite often is completely out there and not very traditional. Very contemporary. Yeah. yeah. But, but you're, me, you're, you're, you're channeling something that yeah. comes from the tradition. Absolutely. In a way that perhaps a singer-songwriter who we might see at a folk festival is maybe channeling something American or, you know, something that's not from the tradition. It's, it's really hard. I don't want to kind of get into that because these things are, are so meaningful to people. You know, what you feel you are, I think, is, is important. And I don't want to, um, to question what anybody else thinks they are. But for me, I feel that tradition so strongly. And another thing 
I think for me in the music that I write is that I think when you're from a very strong tradition and you, you, you've grown up with it, it gives you this absolute um, strength. You know, you're not scared of breaking loose. You're not scared of um, trying something different because you know you've got that tradition. It's part of you. You can't get rid of it even if you try. And it gives you such freedom. And I think for a lot of musicians, they haven't got that thing that they can break away from. And it makes it so much easier. You've got a got foundation. Yeah. And yeah. then once you know the foundation, you can play around with the yes. rules. Yeah. Yeah. Would you sing us a song, Mike, yeah, from sure. the tradition? Because it would just be wonderful to, to hear something that, that takes us back into that world. This is out of the old tradition. This is out of the old ballads. Battle of Otterburn. It fell about the Lammas tide When the moormen win their hay The doughty Douglas bound him right Into England to drive a prey He chose the Gordons and the Grames With them the Lindsay's light and gay But the Jardins would now with him ride And they rue it to this day you can see it's a Scots version of the Battle of Otterburn because the Scots won it. So that, that's a bit out of the Battle of Otterburn. And the man who lived at Otterburn just up the road, say, living up there a hundred years ago, he was a man called Billy Bell and he worked on the roads there. So he knew the site, the Battle of Otterburn, and he was very influenced by Robbie Burns. So he would write about the, uh, the show over there, Bellingham show. So... Uh, this is him coming to Bellingham show uh, and he's, he's riding along on his bike. A thick veil of mist the Tyne Valley did fill As I crested the top of the high Hersher Hill I heard musical strains in the vale far below As onward I pedalled for Bellingham show As up through the town me old biker did ride The crowd was as thick as brown bees round a hive The rich and the poor, the high, great and low Had all come for enjoyment at Bellingham show So they all join in on every Bellingham show That's, that's how that one would go I'm just uh, thinking as well, Dad there's, um, So that one, Billy Bell, he, was, he yeah. worked on the roads round here, didn't he? Yeah, he did, so he was um, a road man but also just the Bellingham show itself, you know, it's still in existence. Oh, and yeah. it hasn't been this last couple of years because no, no. of the, yeah, you know, the COVID, COVID and everything. Yeah. And it still has a piping competition and it's got all the sheep and it all does. of that sort of stuff, you know, the typical shepherd's show. But um, for me, it's, it's strange. So my granddad Robson, <laughs> I remember when I was younger and I was winning a lot of competitions and playing in various places and, you know, I'd met minor royalty and stuff like that. And... So all the rest of my grandparents were like, oh, she's doing really well and everything. Grandad Robson wasn't saying much until the day that I won. This made me cry, actually. The day that I won the piping competition at Bellingham Show. And he couldn't believe it. It was like, to him, there is no... There's, there's nothing higher to him than winning the pipes at Bellingham Show. And um, I'll never forget his and reaction to his that. appreciation for, yeah. for yeah. that meant a lot to you oh yeah 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 he was, yeah, he was so he, was. <laughs> was he? Yeah. he couldn't even speak he just was like hello hello all he could say was hello when he saw me he'd be like hello he didn't even come to to listen to the competition i don't think he wanted to see me to lose or something yeah. you know yeah. but yeah oh that's a wonderful mm. memory what yeah. an amazing memory so are there still people now creating stories and yeah. songs yeah, in the same are. way? David McCracken would yeah. write songs and poems. He's a farmer up here. There's maybe not as many not of as them. Not as many, no. It's no. not as much part of the way of life um, as it used as to it be. As um, So people are doing was. it in a more... Um, they're more aware of trying to write this stuff. Whereas I think yeah. Rennie and those people, they were out on the forestry, you know, if you're planting up and you... They, they would be out so far away that they had to be kind of dropped off on a would it be a Monday morning and yeah and well, picked well, up and snowed be... up that, that was what happened the snow came in when we were planting at this place called Ken Glasnop and uh, we went in, inside and the poem that Re Rennie wrote on the wall was 
On the hills that once echoed to the curlew's wild cry, there'll be trees that are endless in rows far and wide. Tis farewell to the sheep and the shelter and stell and the canny-haired laddie that lived on the fell. And it's all changed, and he ends up with what have they done to the wild rolling hills? The sheep and the cattle are leaving the fells. The shepherd he walks with his Gabian dog, and he treads the same path that his father once trod. The hill farms they are dying, and the folks all but gone. Of Kate's house and Clintburn, there's a left scarce a stone. And the green and hollow stand empty and decayed like cairns for a people and a life passed away. To many this planning has done a great wrong. This land was once peopled, it had life, it had song. But the pipes they are played, the pipes still and cold. The poems are all written and the tales are all told. Rennie yeah. could see a dying. There's such a wonderful then. image about the cairns for the people, the, the ruined houses yeah. being the cairns for the yeah. people. And he was actually writing that in one of those in kind of, of empty farmhouses. But he's writing it, I suppose, because you're out there, there's nothing else to do. You know, there's a couple of lads out there, you know, waiting to get out and plant the next day, just camping out That's in there. Right. So we were sheltered from the storm. Uh, and one of the lines in his house, where your granddad oh, yeah. was living at in Kate's, Kate's house. house. Um, so so one of the things in the poem there, um, my granddad Robson was living in that, that farm. There's nothing left yeah. of it now. No, gone down. We I don't think it, it even had water. No, it didn't. It was had a, a well, a, you know, there's... spring, yeah. So, so yeah. The, the poem is, in a way, a, a lament for a, a way a of life that's change. being lost. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Now, Rennie would sing in the Grey Bullet Walk. Mm. There's a recording of them singing at New Year, and I don't know how many different people were singing, uh, probably uh, 15, 20 people all singing. That was when the first tape recorders came out. Now, we couldn't do that. Uh, but there uh, might be two or three? There'll be two left. or three. Right. Yeah, there will, definitely, yeah. I'm not going to play what I was going to play. I'm going to play something completely different. I've just... Um, it's funny when you're out here, you just suddenly think of something that you wouldn't play inside. And I'm hearing the birds and the, the breeze and the, the river. And there's a tune that I wrote quite a few years ago now for a friend of mine, a percussion player called Bruce Arthur, who... His whole life was about air moving and the way, you know, and that, that it's that that makes the sound. It's the air moving on the instruments. Uh, so the tune's called Air Moving. Okay.
And a little round of applause from the hen at the end. <laughs> Catherine, it's really interesting because we've been talking a lot about place and the effect of mm. place on, on music, but it was interesting that you just decided that you wanted to play that because it felt right yeah. in the moment. Yeah. Uh, so does place have that effect on you too, that you can be in a place and feel, you know, the, the, the change of direction, the change of musical direction, that the place has an impact on you? Uh, yeah, and not, not just place like this. Um, I don't know if other people do this, but playing the house in, you know, if you, somebody moves house and you go and pipe the house in for them. I've done it for a few of my friends and family. And it's interesting because I never go in with a fixed idea of what I'm going to play. And you go into one room and it's like, oh, this seems to be this tune. And then you go into another room and it's a different tune. So when you headed into the world of, I mean, I think you did some uh, formal music exams, didn't you? Grade eight, uh, on the On the piano and the violin yes yeah. I did yeah and then so uh, but then you headed out into the world and you became a collaborator with all sorts of different kinds of musicians and did you um, feel that taking the tradition to them and the way you approached music needed to adapt to different kinds of musicians that you met classical musicians maybe or rock musicians did you have to work in a different way um, certainly working with classical musicians and when I was first writing for classical musicians I was just beside myself thinking you know that feeling of is am I allowed to do this you know will they see straight through me and think oh she doesn't know what she's talking about so it took a long long time and and some occasionally some musicians that I was working with classical musicians I remember the Schubert Ensemble of London being particularly um supportive and going look you have a, a voice and whatever you're writing, it has your accent in it and that is a really special thing. And that meant a lot to me because I think to start off with, I was trying to, to almost minimise the, the, the traditional, the, the folk, the Northumbrian and trying to write something that was from their world, which was absolutely the wrong thing to do. And then going to work with Sting, you know, that was the first time I did that. I was just, what on earth am I going to play? I only <laughs> play in F. Like, and what, what, did, what, did he, what did he say to you? Oh, he was fine. Sometimes he'll have a very strong idea what he wants. Sometimes he'll just say, oh, just play something, see what you come up with. But, you know, with an instrument like this, it has, uh, with the Northern Reef Pipes, it has limitations. You can only play in certain keys. You can only have the drones in certain keys. It's only got certain notes. You know, if I'm reading music, I'm a transposing instrument, all of these things. And <laughs> you can't really go, uh, Sting, it's in the wrong key for me. Can you just change it? Can you do it in F instead? pet <laughs> you know <laughs> you're a geordie you can just do it in f go on um so that that was kind of scary but you eventually i think now i'm much more like this is the way the instrument is this is what i can do this is what i can't do and also just having that confidence in the instrument in the tradition in in what you do it takes it takes a long time to or it took a long time for me to build that up and I know that those limitations of this instrument they're not limitations they're things that funnel you in a certain direction so for example with the fiddle there's far less limitations you can play anything just about in the fiddle and almost it's like there's too many options I don't know which way to go whereas this instrument it, it pushes you and you can feel yourself being driven to, to strive for more and to strive to go deeper to go further with this but isn't it wonderful that an instrument with the history that this has should be heard in the context of the most contemporary music mm. now and that mm. you, you've taken it onto stages that are, in a way, ensuring its survival, ensuring that it's going to reach generations for the future? I, I don't think, personally, that any of those collaborations have much to do with ensuring the instrument's survival because the instrument will survive and the tradition will survive no matter what I do with it and what collaborations I might happen to do. Um, that's the beauty of a tradition. Um, you cannot, you know, if I do something which is really counter to the tradition that people hate, then nobody else will play it and that will just be quietly forgotten <laughs> and uh, the tradition will just continue um, undeterred by my efforts. Mike, do you, do you worry about the future of the tradition? Do you, you know, when you say there are fewer people now writing in the same way that the, the older people used to do, do you, do you worry that the, there's any threat to it or do you think in the hands of people like Catherine it's going in new directions? 
I think it is going in new directions, but uh, I worry if uh, it in the local sense, where it came from, it isn't as perhaps as strong that's, as it used to be. This is what uh, what has happened. So it's it's spread. It's uh, so it's different. But that's what you would expect, yeah. wouldn't you? I yeah. think there is that thing of the way the traditional music works in my head, as opposed to the folk music, is it's much less about the actual tunes and about the actual songs. It's about the communication with your community. It's about that connection and what it means to be playing those tunes in those places to those people. And it's reciprocal, you know, it's not just me playing to them, it's them communicating and connecting with me and and the place of music in the community. Like it used to be the music was so important because it was, it played for the dancers and the dancers were so incredibly important in these little tiny communities and that isn't there anymore it's, so it's very very different now so you've got the fiddle out now yes Catherine. i have what, what what are you feeling inspired well to play for us um, if i was trying to be if i wanted to impress uh, of course everybody wants to impress and you know you want to play something really virtuosic and uh, make everybody go oh she can really play that fiddle but no i'm going to play probably one of the easiest tunes i know one thing that has changed for me through lockdown has been finding myself really drawn to those tunes that um, that I knew and that I played as a child. And I don't know whether it's because the future is uncertain, so you're kind of going back for some sense of comfort or safety. I don't know if it's that or or because we haven't been able to travel very far, so you're kind of holding tight to the things that you know inside you. Um, but this tune, the Walksburn Waltz, I've played it as long as I can remember, but I've never played it on stage until this last couple of gigs, you know, in between lockdowns. It's not fast, it's not flashy. Um, it's one that, it's very important in my family, particularly my mum's side of the family, the Robsons. So it was my granny's favourite tune. Um, I played it at her funeral. I remember being in the pub in Wark and playing this with my uncle Alan when he was still alive on his accordion. And my daughter joined in too. And that was like, that was very, felt really special. My granddad Robson was a, a champion uh, waltzer. He always used to win the waltzing competitions. And uh, yeah, so waltzers were very important. So this is so old fashioned and just, you know, you can think back to, it's like going back in time with this tune. That's fantastic. Well, it's been absolutely amazing to hear your music and to hear your stories. Catherine and Mike, thank you very much indeed for, for joining us today. Thank you. It's been a pleasure on such a good fishing day. Look at that. <laughs> Go and get your rod and, and we'll, get, we'll, yeah, we'll get out yeah, there. It's wonderful, isn't it? Yeah, the Atlantic salmon are coming up as, as, as we're standing here, coming up the reed. <laughs>
Catherine Tickell and her dad Mike in Northumberland. If you've enjoyed this episode and you've enjoyed the stories and music that you've heard, you can learn more if you sign up for Folk on Foot on Film, which is our glorious archive of more than 100 songs and pieces of music that we've recorded on our travels. It's only available to our patrons. If you'd like to become one, just go to folkonfoot.com and click on the Support Us button. We rely entirely on contributions from our listeners to keep this show on the road, so every penny counts and we'd be very grateful for your support.